Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning to you once again. If you're just joining us as a guest, or if you haven't been able to join us for the last couple of weeks, we're in a series now that we're calling What's in a Name? Asking the question that um, Shakespeare wrote in uh, Romeo and Juliet, saying, wouldn't a rose have you know, the same beauty? Wouldn't it smell just as good if we all agreed to call it something else? And, and fair enough question, as I say. But a few weeks ago, I pointed out that uh, my wife Barbara's favorite rose is a yellow rose. Found that out the hard way. No, I was kidding. So if I, you know, am in some kind of mess or something, I run into Mel's shop and I say I need a rose, and Mel goes, what kind of rose do you need? It would help me, you know, get the most bang for my buck if I knew what I was doing. You know, there's some 30,000 different kinds of uh, cultivated roses and even more uh, wild varieties. And so it is with, with many aspects of our lives. We have to get specific about things that we want to request or we want to talk about. For example, if you go to Italy, if you go to Italy and you order some pasta there, simply say you want pasta, you got to get a lot more specific. Um, Italy boasts over 600 different shapes and kinds of pastas. Be helpful if we get a little more specific and we get narrowed down. Or, you know, and more to the point, more to reality. Um, if we were to call 911, and say simply, um, send help, and then hang up. Well, there's a lot more information that we would probably have to give for um, the, the situation to be taken care of. You know, lots of problems with that. The, the operator would need to know, um, you know, what's the situation? Are, are you being robbed? Is there something on fire? Is house on fire? Is there a compound fracture involved in this? What, what do we need to send? What are the specifics? And so the same way as that, as that 911 operator, um, would ask for specifics, you know, and then send the specific assistance that you needed. Um, God says he will answer our call in the same way. He will answer our call and get specific with, with how he answers that call. And as we've been seeing the last couple of weeks, the important thing for us first is to actually call out to God. So if we look at Jeremiah 33, uh, verse 3, God says, call to me, and I will answer you, right? And I, like I talk about all the time, we look at God's commands and we look at God's promises. Call to me, right, is a, is, a, is, a, is a command, right? Call to me and I will answer you, tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse up there, but just trust me on this one, all right? So in this section of Jeremiah, though, um, in this section of Jeremiah, God describes himself, sort of sums up who he is and what he will do for those um, who put their trust in him. Call to me and I will answer you. And that's, um, that's the way, uh, that's the way um, we're taking some time during Lent here. That's, that's the, maybe the why we're taking time during Lent here, to um, learn how God identifies himself. The ways that God takes time to identify himself reveal to us what he wants us to know about him to know about him and, and the way he works. And when we start thinking more like a 911 call, you know, do we need the police, a fire truck, do we need an ambulance, right? We gotta get a little more specific. Now, so far in this series, we've covered a couple of the big names of God, right? Um, the first one we looked at was Yahweh, and that's the name that God reveals to Moses um, when Moses um, takes time out of his day and takes time out of his busy schedule to go over and observe this bush, and then God starts speaking to him. And God reveals his name to him. He says, I am Yahweh, which means I am. And it's, that's a God I talked about here just a second ago, the one who was and is and will always be. That's who Yahweh is. That's the name of God that he revealed to them, the existing one. And then last week we looked at the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this name for God, this, the word that God uses in the Bible here is Elohim. 
And it usually depicts God the Father, God the Creator, right? The Creator God. Um, and in fact, I had you use this name, replace this name last week when we, uh, when we said the Apostles' Creed together, right? I believe in Elohim, right? Not just God the Father. I believe in Elohim, Creator of heaven and earth. And so... Um, Full disclosure here, you guys know that I am honest almost to a fault and, and transparent almost to a fault, so I'm going to tell you this, I'm a little hesitant to um, talk about this next little piece of nugget of information that, that, that we need in order for us to go keep going down this road. Um, I'm hesitant because it gets us down in the weeds a little bit, and, and when we get in the weeds, we can lose focus of the goal, so I just want to make sure that we're clear here. You know, in fact, um, I felt very led to share this nugget with you last week, um, and I, I feel like God was asking me to, and I respectfully refused last week, but um, uh, here we are again, and I feel like if I say no this time, like some kind of um, odd huge fish is going to come and swallow me right where I'm standing, so I thought we would just, so here goes. So listen carefully, and, and please don't add to what I'm going to say. Don't add to what I'm going to say, and at the same time, don't get wrapped around the axle about it either. Um, the word Elohim is the word we see in the Bible and in other writings of the time, not just the Bible, other writings of the time, we see this word appear a lot. Um, and, uh, and like I said, in those days, and it's always referring to God the Father, God the Creator. Um, but then there's a part, again, that I'm hesitant to point out, but we kind of need it. Okay, so before I point it out, I've got you hanging on the edge of your seat now, right? Um, I've got a sentence I want you to look at. If I say this sentence, the sharp-dressed man used a sharp knife to cut the sharp cheddar cheese. Is there any confusion in anybody's mind what the word sharp means in those three different places? Right? We're English-speaking, native, native English-speaking people. Sharp-dressed man used a sharp knife to cut the sharp cheddar cheese. So is there any confusion where, what the word sharp means in any of those places? Hello? There's not. Why is there not any confusion? Thank you. The key word we're looking for here is context, right? Context. Same word, different meaning. Okay, so why am I telling you this? Okay, so the word Elohim, when it comes up in the Bible, the word Elohim comes up in two different ways. Elohim comes up in two different ways. The first one we talked about, and it means God the Father, God the Creator. But it's also used, now that's a proper name, it's also used as a title for other gods, like the false gods of Egypt. Right? The false gods that the Egyptians were looked at or worshipped, if you look at that, it's going to say Elohim. Now, as we translate that in the Bible, it's lowercase g. So in the same way, you want to get confused with the word sharp here in this sentence used three different times. As we read through the Bible, we're not going to get confused on whether Elohim means God the creator or it means a false god. With me so far? With me so far? Okay, good. All right, so, all right, so now... The reason I tell you this is because, um, you can take that down now. The reason I tell you this is because the word Elohim is a plural noun. We talked about that before. And its shortened form is simply the word El, E-L. And El, in its shortened form, means mighty, means strong in power. And we see that prefix used um, many different ways in, in places that might surprise you. We see it more often than you think. For example, in the name Elijah, E-L, Elijah means God is my Jehovah or God is my Yahweh. Elijah, Elijah. And Elisha, you know, the one, the, the prophet that came right after him, El-Sha. Um, it means God is my salvation. 
So those are prefixes, L with a prefix, and then, but it's also used as a suffix in other names. For example, Samuel or Daniel, right? Daniel means um, God is my judge. So every time we see L in a name, whether it's at the beginning or at the end, it's talking about God and it's talking about a different aspect of God. Okay, so Elisha, Elijah, um, Daniel, Samuel, where it's at the end, Samuel, where it's at the end. Okay, so you get the idea. So here's where I'm going with this. Um, when we see God using the prefix L, and then another word to describe him, he has to, it has to start with Elohim. It has to start with God, the creator, the all-powerful God. But then, just like that 911 call gets specific, God gets specific on his characteristics, who he is, what we can expect from him, what we can expect when we call to him. How is he going to answer us? So he reveals those to us, or maybe, I don't know, maybe reminds us about who he is, because we should kind of know this stuff anyway. So the one that we're looking at today is El Elyon, right? Or the Most High God. We got a cool slide for that one, Jared. El Elyon, or the Most High God. Um, as the sovereign ruler of the universe. That's what we're looking at when we see El Elyon. And when we see it in the Bible, I'm going to show you this uh, a little bit more as we, get, as we go on here. But we see it translated as God Most High, or the God Most High, or your God Most High, right? That's El Elyon. That is um, the all-powerful God, right? That's the one, um, the sovereign, we think the sovereign ruler of the universe, Okay, why do we say sovereign ruler of the universe? Do we really know what we're talking about um, when we say that? The ruler of the universe. Um, that's the best picture I could find of a night sky without creating one ourselves. Have you ever just walked outside at night and just, started, or just stared up at the sky in amazement? You know, um, when I was in the military, we um, ended up doing a bivouac out in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I swear, there wasn't a city or there wasn't an electric light bulb for like... 100 square miles, and I looked up in the sky, and I saw more stars, and I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin, I saw more stars that night than I thought existed, it's just amazing, so if you've never done that, stared up in the sky in amazement, I suggest you go do that, so have you ever wondered how big the universe really is, that God literally spoke into existence, the how, what is the size of the universe, I'm told that the nearest um, star to our planet is four light years away, and you might not think, well, that's not so far, right? Four light years. Well, light travels at 186,282.2 miles per second. There's 31.5 million seconds in a year. We start doing that math a little bit, right? It takes that speed, 186,282.2 miles per second. It takes four years to get to the nearest star, we think. What's that perspective here on Earth? Um, if you fire a 30-odd six, it goes about a half a mile a second, more or less. And we think of that as instantaneous. Right? A few years ago, we sent a probe up uh, to explore our solar system. And that probe is going at 20 miles a second. And I know, that doesn't sound like much. 20 miles a second means you can go from Stiles to the mall down in Appleton in 2.5 seconds. That's how fast that is. Right? And it's going continuously. So at 20 miles a second, it took nine years to get, and it's not even out of our solar system. That's how much, that's how big it is. That's how fast things have to go. Now increase that speed to 186,282.2 
miles per second, which uh, Jared will tell you is the speed of the Millennium Falcon when it's going into uh, hyperdrive or warp drive, which is it, hyper speed? Now go that speed for four years and then you'll get to the first star. Now if you want to get to the edge of the universe or what we think is the edge of the universe, and I don't know exactly what that even means, but it would take 91 billion years at the speed of light to get to the edge of the universe, what we think it is, or the known universe, and I'm not even sure what we mean when we say that. Point is this, though. If we were able to do that, travel the speed of light for 91 billion, with a B, billion years, El Elyon would be standing there saying, what took you so long? And if we went the other way at the same time, he would be there saying, what took you so long? God is more than we can possibly ever imagine. He's bigger than we can possibly ever imagine. He's bigger than big. He's bigger than any word we have for big. He's not gigantic. He's not enormous. He's bigger than all of that. Isaiah chapter 40 talks about how huge God is. Marked off the heavens with the span of his hand. This is the span of your hand. And really what Isaiah 40 talks about is how God holds the universe in the span of his hand. It would take us 91 billion years at the speed of light, as fast as we know humanly possible or, or, or physically possible, take 91 billion years to get to the side of it, and God one day said, yeah, let's make the universe about that big. And he's standing outside of it that much out of the universe, what we know as the universe. And so since this is the case, God uses names to define and distinguish himself. Define and distinguish himself above all the other gods, right? Uh, the gods, the Egyptians or the Canaanites, all those others that worshipped. How does he do that? He tells us that his name is El Elyon, the supreme God, the most high God, the strongest, the biggest. Elyon, the name itself, speaks of something that's, that's higher or upper, you know, top shelf kind of stuff. Line up the gods of Egypt, the Canaanites, the Persians. El Elyon is the most high. Okay, so the other thing I want to do with this series is to help us with a little Bible reading 101. What are we actually looking at when we read the Bible? How are they translated and how are we supposed to actually understand this? It's almost a given that we should understand what I'm about to tell you and what we're going to talk about, the other things we're going to talk about in this series while we're reading through the Bible. Right? We see these words, we see these names, and we just kind of blow past them and we don't really accept and really um, internalize what we're talking about here. So when you see the word LORD, L-O-R-D, in all caps, all capital letters, that's Yahweh. We could also say Yehovah, right, but Yahweh. When you see God, capital G-O-D, that's Elohim, that's Creator God. Capital L-O-R-D, that's the existing God, that's the I am God. When you see God, G-O-D, that's Elohim, that's Creator God. And then when you see the words most high, usually most high God, that's El Elyon. That's God showing that he is El Elyon. So classical teaching 101, you know, five W's and an H. Let's start with uh, where we see these occurrences, some of them anyway, and then look at the why we see them. So let's look at some verses. Look, look, let's look at uh, Psalm 86, verse 10. It says, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You are God. You alone are God. 
that God is Elohim. That is creator God. You alone are God. You alone are Elohim. I could have literally picked 6,500 verses, I think, that say this. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. Lord, all caps, right? That's Yahweh. I could have picked 4,800 verses for this one. That's how much these words come up. That's how much we see these words. And again, when we're reading them, we just blow past them, and we don't accept what God is actually saying to us. So here's today where the rubber meets the road. Psalm 7, 7 verse 17. And I kind of gave you a curveball here, Jeff. I was thinking about you when I did this. I will give thanks to the Lord, that's Yahweh, because of his righteousness, right? All caps. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High, right? Yahweh El Elyon. Yahweh El Yon, right? The Lord Most High. Now, okay, I fully understand that I'm the resident Bible geek in the room here, but keep tracking with me. So this says the Lord Most High, Yahweh El Yon. El El Yon, God Most High, Lord Most High, worthy of our praise. The author of Psalm 7 here says, I will sing praises to the Lord Most High. Right? El El Yon, Yahweh El Yon, God Most High, is worthy of our trust any way you say it. We hear the prophet Dan El, right? Daniel, God is my judge. Dan El who declares in verse 25 here, this is Daniel 4, 25, seven seasons will pass. Then you will learn this lesson. You will learn El Elyon, right? God most high. El Elyon rules over human kingdoms and gives them to whoever he, uh, whoever he wants. El Elyon, the, the God most high, the supreme God, the uppermost God, the most high God, however you want to say it, is worthy of our trust, worthy of our praise. So that's where, at least a few times, of many places, we see God as El Elyon. God reveals himself. God talks about himself being El Elyon. So the why, then? Why does God do this? Right? Last week, we looked at uh, Psalm verse, uh, 9, verse 10, that says, those who know God's name put their trust in him. Those who know God's name put their trust in him. That's why God reveals his name to us, so that we will put our trust in him and not something else. Putting our trust in his name. So what's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of knowing God? You know, when, when Moses was um, talking to God, God was talking to Moses through the bush, and Moses was kind of arguing with him a little bit, right? He started to say, he said, who, sent, uh, who should I say sent me? And then he goes to the people and he tells them that, and then he goes to Pharaoh, and he says that our God wants us to go out and we're going to go and we're going to worship him. And that conversation takes place in Exodus. In chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh says this, Who is this Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? He says this, I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh says, what's this God's name you're even talking about? I don't even know who you're even talking about. Never heard of him. And maybe you know the rest of this story, how God spends the next couple of chapters explaining exactly to Pharaoh who he is. And I've told you this before, every one of those plagues of Egypt attacks one of the Elohim, one of the lowercase gods of Egypt, straight head on. God said, basically, challenge accepted, right? 
And then later on asks Pharaoh, now do you know my name? And Pharaoh said, okay, I, I, I got it. So here's what it comes down to. And it was suggested to me, I was talking to some of my colleagues, we um, have conference calls and things like that once in a while. Uh, one of them suggested that I rename this series Lost in Translation. And, uh, because we can read right over this stuff and not recognize what it is that God's telling us. I told her that she planted a seed for the new sermon series, by the way, Jared, so let's work on a new slide for that one. We can read right over this stuff. It's lost in translation, right? We don't recognize for what God is telling us. And here's what I mean. In, 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 in when we, again, Bible 101, while we're reading the Bible and interpreting the Bible, we ca- uh, follow what's called the law of first occurrence. The law of first occurrence. In other words, um, we look at where God introduces a word or a phrase and we, play, we pay close attention to that, right, to that occurrence. And we let it kind of dictate our interpretation of that um, later on. So the first occurrence of El El Yan comes with Abraham. There's a couple of different firsts that come with Abraham too. Um, there's this battle. And if you gave me an hour or so on Sunday mornings, we could talk about that battle because it's significant. We've talked about it before. We can dig into it a different time. Um, but the, the battle at this point in, in history, or the more I'm talking about, the battle is over. Abraham is on the winning side. He didn't really win because God won the battle for him and these other kings. Um, the reason the battle started, because you'll remember um, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. Lot was in the wrong place at the wrong time because of his own doing, and he got captured and brought away because part of the spoils of a different battle that took place. So Abraham goes after him. And so after all this now, after God wins this victory, wins this battle for, for Abraham, and Abraham's there, he sits down, Abraham sits down with the man, uh, with the, the person, uh, Melchizedek, right? And I've talked about him before. Melchizedek, is, his name means literally, my God is salvation. Now again, we can look at the historical context of this whole narrative later, but here's what I want you to see. Here's where I, the first occurrence of, of El El Yan, right, is this conversation between Melchizedek and, and Abraham, right? Okay, so Genesis 14, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 19, says, And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High. It's El El Yan. Look at now. Possessor of heaven and earth. Okay, this is where I started to get goosebumps during the week. That word possessor, that's the Hebrew word uh, kana. That's actually one I think we can pronounce. The Hebrew word kana. And again, we can blow right past this stuff and not even hear what God is saying to us and what he's trying to uh, reveal to us and what we can learn from it. Uh, the Hebrew word kanah has several different shades of meaning. Um, it can mean to create. Um, it can mean to buy, as in a purchase. It can mean to acquire some other way. And it also can mean to redeem. To redeem something means you buy it out of slavery, you buy it out of captivity, and then set it free. Right? Not to keep as your own, but to set it free. That's what it means to redeem something. So if we talk about possessing something, talk about possessing something, what is it that we're saying? I mean, if you said to me that you possess a piece of property, what are you saying? Right? You're saying that you have it, right? You're saying that you acquired it somehow, you obtained it somehow, you maybe purchased it. It's your possession to see and to do with as you see fit. That's why God reveals himself as El Elyon, not just the most powerful, not just the most high, but he's the possessor of heaven and earth, right? Span of his hand. He created it. He controls it. He possesses it. El Yan is not only possessor, but he is our, also our protector. Right? 
after Genesis 14, 20, after this amazing battle took place, and when you read in through it, see that Abraham again was on the winning side, not because he was some kind of military genius, no, but because God was on his side and God did it for him. El Elyon fought that battle for Abraham and won for Abraham. And even Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, recognizes it. And he says, blessed be El Elyon, the God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand as your protector, as your possessor. And now even Abraham realizes that God is his Elohim. His, his El Elyon. And, and uh, the, the strongest of the strong, the most high God, who possesses and protects his people. That's what God is trying to tell us. Who possesses and protects his people, not just the universe. And the Bible tells us that those who know him and know that, know him, trust him. Pharaoh didn't know God, but got an introduction that he never forgot. The God Most High, who holds the universe in the span of his hand, is asking you to know him on that level. Not just blow past what he's talking about when we're reading through the Bible. Not just blow past it, but actually understand it, actually start to digest part of it. He's asking you to know him and to put your trust in him. That's what this entire series is about. Who God is, how he reveals himself to us through his words, the names that God has and the names that God uses to talk about his attributes. I'm going to leave you with this little cheesy little thing here at the end. Every name that God bears is a blessing he shares. Why is it important to know God's name? Because then we know the blessings that God has in store for us. And then we can put our trust in those. Every blessing, every name he bears is a blessing that he shares. Amen? Okay, let's stand, please.